Hi, I'm Katie Wellen, and join me each week as I talk with experts around the globe about circular economy. You'll find out what's being done to make it a reality, and if it can really solve the problems it promises. It's time for Getting in the Loop. Hi, it's Katie, and welcome back to the Getting in the Loop podcast. Today, we're getting in the loop with Lars Zimmerman, who is a self-described artist, designer, and activist. Lars is co-founder of Open Source Circular Economy Days, a global event that started in 2015 to promote open source as the key driver to a circular economy. Based out of Berlin, Germany, he is founder of Me Factory, a design and environmental activism studio. In this episode, you'll learn about Open Source Circular Economy Days and the workshops that Lars runs to engage people in circular economy concepts, including that of pre-use, which you'll hear him explain more in detail in this episode. Last but not least, in this episode, Lars also shares some exciting news about work he is doing regarding circular economy education. Show notes and links mentioned in today's episode can be found at our website, gettingintheloopodcast.com. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to tell you about something awesome. If you're giving presentations related to circular economy, or if you just want to learn a little bit more about circular economy basics, head over to slidedeck.gettingintheloopodcast.com to grab a free presentation that I've created based off of presentations that I've given over the course of the last couple of years. And what it is, is you can use it as a starting point for your own presentation. So it's PowerPoint presentation. You can add or adapt your own slides into it, or you can just go through the presentation and learn a little bit more about the basics behind circular economy. So it's 20 slides. It starts off with why we need a circular economy, what is the concept, and how can we implement this in practice. And then at the end, it finishes with some links to different reports and other resources so you can learn a little bit more on your own. Okay, so now on to today's podcast. Well, it is a pleasure to have you on the Getting in the Loop podcast today, and I'm really happy we were able to follow up from the Plate Conference where we met in September uh, and now get to chat. Hello, and thank you for having me. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so I'm really curious, and we never got a chance to talk about this when we were in Berlin, but you're doing a lot regarding circular economy. So how did you first hear about circular economy and how did your interest begin? Uh, I'm an artist interested in economy and around 2009 I created a project that involved circular economy. It wasn't called circular economy back then but I was super inspired by the cradle to cradle design approach. That project never really worked, but I continued uh, on this path for circularity uh, with other projects. And uh, yeah, this interest uh, stuck with me. Great. Yeah, it, de it definitely has. And we're going to get into that, you know, in, as we continue discussing, um, because one of the things that you have been advocating is this idea of an open source circular economy. So maybe some of the listeners are familiar with the term open source circular economy, but for those who aren't, could you just give a brief introduction to this idea? Yeah, I try to make it as brief and simple <laughs> as possible. Uh, open source means basically you publish how something is made, so the design files or the building plan, uh, in a way that allows others to study, modify, uh, use, 
distribute and also make and sell the design. Um, so you enable others to uh, do more than just consume your products. Uh, maybe they build them, maybe they uh, build uh, new versions of it, and they can bring this to the market. Uh, and this is super successful in the world of software. We all use open source software on a daily basis. If we know about it or not, it is the case. Um, and there are also people trying to do this for hardware stuff. And why is it important for the circular economy? Uh, because one of the things we try for circularity is to make things really long lasting. And now envision you have something that really lasts for 30 or maybe even 40 years. Another part of the circular economy is that we want to have things that are repairable, reusable, and in the end, recyclable. And now think about something you bought here today, and then uh, in 30 years at the other side of the globe, it breaks down. So the people there have then to take care of the repairing, reusing, or recycling. So first of all, they need to have the information to know how it's properly repaired or reused and recycled. Uh, and if this information is not available, it's not very likely that they will do this. And second, not just the information needs to be available, they also need to have the right to do this. So patents are in the way of people that want to uh, repair or recycle sometimes. So really openness helps to enable circularity in a big distributed economy. I would say. And this is what uh, I try to um, figure out and advocate for. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like, yeah. So in terms of an open source circular economy, it's kind of the opposite of a closed one where you have a couple of firms or companies that have the centralized knowledge and they control the patents and the rights and they are responsible for extending the lifetimes of products. Whereas the open source one is something more like along the, I would say the I fix it kind of vision. Maybe you, maybe you agree with me in terms of the, you know, the right to repair and the right to have access to, you know, how your phone is made so that you can get in and change the battery. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and because of your interest in open source circular economy, you are the co-founder or maybe, maybe it's, maybe I have the wrong cause and effect, but you are a co-founder of the open source circular economy days. And I think some of my listeners have seen this on the web because it's been going now, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot maybe, but I think it's been going on for at least four, four years. Am I right? Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, so four years, and could you tell us more about Open Source Circular Economy Days? Yeah, in 2014, I sat together with a bunch of people, and we said that this question of open source as a key driver for real circular economy and real circular design is such a great question and idea, but it's nowhere asked. The only page where you can find could find something on the web back then was one of the pages I ran for a couple of years that never really got any visitors. So at that time, also global events were something relatively new and um, super interesting. And we thought, come on, let's use a global event to push this question uh, and make it really um, something that is discussed across the globe. Uh, so we set up this event called uh, Open Source Secular Economy Days. And uh, we got uh, a couple of people that signed up and said that they would create local events. Uh, and the first year it was, I think, around 30 uh, cities or people in uh, 30 cities 
participating and in the second year we had already 70 people that said that they set up uh, local events to discuss these questions with their uh, local community uh, yeah and uh, the the this part of the project somehow has stopped a little bit and I think one of the reasons for this is that uh, we now all know that global events aren't that interesting and that they don't deliver that much value as we hoped for when we started with these things. Yeah. Ah, interesting. But yeah, but there's still this platform and still people pushing this uh, and we're trying to figure out a new way to bring this question to the agenda and make progress with it. Hmm. Okay, so that's pretty impressive that you had it grow that much in, in just the span of one year. Um, but you now say that global events are maybe not so interesting. Could you expand on that? Um, yeah, I mean, what makes events interesting that you can really talk to people and connect to people and um, someone took the time to come to the same place as you did. Uh, and then we thought, hey, come on, let's uh, use things like Google Hangouts or Skype and use them as a window to the other side of the globe. But in the end, you don't go to a conference to sit in front of a shitty streaming of someone giving maybe a lame presentation in front of a computer screen. You know, you just don't do this sitting on mm. front of a computer screen. And it's not interesting to watch uh, these talks most of the time because uh, it's now relatively cheap to produce uh, high quality media. And there are so many uh, good resources out there, for example, great podcasts, probably like yours, um, good videos, uh, well-made websites and texts. So why go for these uh, uh, talks? that were streamed via Google Hangouts, you know? So this is one of, the, um, one of the problems, the quality of the media, and then, yeah, that you don't really need the people. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so it's more beneficial to have something locally where you can get together and, and work on something tangible maybe than have this wealth of knowledge, although that, is, of course, is still important. Yeah. Yeah. And... Could you just give some examples of maybe some past open source or open source circular economy days uh, talks or projects? I'll link to the website uh, in the show notes on on the Getting in the Loop podcast uh, show note page, so then listeners can go and look at them. Uh, but maybe you could just get a, give the listeners a taste of kind of what what kinds of events you had or what sort of talks. Okay. The events weren't really so much about uh, talks, I would say. We had some uh, some talks, and you can find uh, recordings of them, uh, of course, on, on the website. We had a beautiful video shot by Kyle Weens, or we had uh, David Lee, who is um, a very well-known person in China, especially in the maker scene. So he gave uh, us uh, some hints how to uh, look at circular economy from a Chinese a manufacturer's point of view, which was really interesting. And I uh, definitely recommend this talk. But um, the event wasn't so much about these talks. It was more about that you had uh, local events and invite people to actually hack on things, so to build something, and then document what you invented uh, at these uh, hackathons. So, uh, for example, in Berlin, we had people that really built at one of the events a precious plastic machine. Uh, really, there was nothing when the event started. And in the end, they had a machine you could use uh, to recycle plastic yourself. Um, and some of these uh, DIY projects or these uh, 
design projects are documented on uh, our forum. So uh, you can visit the website, click on the community forum, and then uh, browse a bit for solutions, and you will find uh, things on modular design, on uh, recycling plastic yourself, on making bioplastics, uh, and, and some more of these things. There's, for example, one that's really beautiful by my friend uh, Seiko Robinson, a long tutorial on how to make a circular wedding. Wow. Really cool. I actually, I saw that, that article by Sego. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, that's so cool. I'm definitely, uh, definitely going to check out a lot of these forums because I've seen some of them and I have, but I haven't, I have to admit, I haven't had the time to go in depth for all of them. Um, but yeah, the precious plastics that also like you just showed, show up one day and don't have a machine. And then the next, the next day or by the end of the week, you have a machine that's crazy yeah and that's because this project is so well documented and open source it really enables people across the globe to build these machines and it works as you can see on their website yeah okay okay well, i'm gonna have to ch check that out um, oh you never oh, sorry to inter sorry to interrupt you but you never really uh, took a look at uh, the precious plastic project well it, it's the guys from delft right or or I not not sure if it's Delft. Rotterdam, it's like the Netherlands, right? It's definitely in the Netherlands, yeah. So, so he, uh, to, just to advertise his project a little bit, <laughs> because it's so fantastic, he uh, created uh, uh, four machines you can use to recycle plastic locally yourself, because you can go to every hardware store and buy machines to work with wood or metal, but nothing to work with plastic. And he changed that. And then uh, he documented these machines very, very good. And then uh, people across the globe started to build these machines, set up little local businesses with uh, recycled plastic uh, and so on. Um, and, you, and ever since this project grew, they have now 50 people working in a factory. They have uh, new versions of these machines. Uh, many, many businesses across the globe that sell uh, recycled plastic through their online bazaar. Um, yeah, it's really well made. And maybe one, one anecdote, I met him when we were invited to Kazakhstan because the World Expo was there in 2017. And there were a lot of European activists and none, no one of us had any friends or connections there except of Dave, because even in Kazakhstan, people had built his machines. So uh, this wow. project really made through open source a big uh, difference uh, when it comes to thinking and about recycling plastic. Yeah. Okay. That's a great suggestion. So now that we've kind of talked about perpetual and precious and and plastic, so peas, 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 I want to talk to you about what we talked about a couple weeks ago at the plate conference where we talked about pre-use because you led a workshop uh, about pre-use and I, yeah, as a side note, I'll link to some of the graphics that you used in the workshop, if that's okay with you, because I think that will help explain this. And um, also, I really liked I really liked them. Uh, but could you just explain to the yeah explain what your idea of pre-use is? Yeah, uh, it's actually not my idea. I learned the term from someone else, from Jan Kerbis. Uh, but when he said pre-use, it made uh, immediately click in my head because that was something that I needed. Because when we talk about uh, circular economy, there is this uh, sometimes the five big re or the four big re like repair, reuse, refurbish, recycle, and so on. And they use this pre uh, reuse, but turn it into pre-use. And what they, what they mean by this, it's a, it's a 
practice uh, of design. So when they, for example, or let me give you an, uh, a definition. So pre-use means that you use something, like an object for something else than it was initially intended, but you leave it completely intact. So you don't cut it or destroy it so that it, even after it uh, was used for something else, still can uh, fulfill its initially intended use afterwards. Sounds complicated. Um, I give you an example. So Jan Kerbis or the architecture um, project Umschichten, for example, when they have to set up an infrastructure for an event, sometimes they borrow the building material, like uh, wooden blocks and so on, or wooden sticks. And then they use these sticks to build an infrastructure. So they can't uh, cut them, they can't drill them, they can't paint them. They have to leave them as they were. Uh, and then when the event is uh, over, they disassemble everything and then they can, can give these wooden sticks back to the supermarket. So, uh, so pre-use, you use it for something else before the sticks then are uh, going into the use where they maybe are cut and glued and so on. And there are so many examples uh, in the world, for example, in Germany, it's really famous probably in other countries too, that you use a regular flower pot, pot as an ashtray that protects the... Uh, cigarettes from wind. So you just put it upside down uh, and then you can, uh, through the little hole, put the uh, cigarette. But when the wind comes, uh, the cigarette is protected. But you can still use this pot afterwards as a flower pot. Uh, and there are so many interesting uh, examples and I collect them on my uh, website whenever I find something like this and share uh, them. For example, there's an image of a chess board made out of nuts and balls. So of course, these are now uh, chess figures, but you can still turn them back into nuts and balls and use them as nuts and balls are used for many, many different uh, things. Uh, or there's, for example, a curtain holder that is connected to the wall with a pipe holder that you usually use in your bathroom. But it also works as a, a curtain holder. Uh, yeah, and, or, and there are interesting buildings made out of chairs and so on. And why I find this so interesting is because it, it shows so many things that are interesting for, uh, for circular design. First of all, it points to existing examples of uh, modular design. So you don't have to invent a new modular design. You can just uh, look around you and see, ah, I can use this ashtray as a flower pot, for example. You know? uh, if you um, learn to view the world like this, then you uh, can spot a lot of uh, in interesting examples for already existing circular modular uh, things. Then uh, I really like the idea, it's th theoretically, but um, that you uh, can uh, have less factories because now maybe you have a factory for the flower pots and then you have a factory for ashtrays. But now you don't need a factory for ashtrays anymore because you can use the flower pot, you know? Maybe it helps us to reduce uh, the factories and to reduce the need of materials. Uh, then what I absolutely love about this is this idea of DIY circularity. Many of mm -hmm. us, I, I think uh, amongst your listeners, we are really excited about circular economy and circular design. Uh, and then we go to the supermarket, but there are no examples on the shelves. We so desperately would love to buy uh, because we want to have them in our home. And then with this, uh, you can just use existing things in a circular way. So it basically invites uh, the hacker spirit in all of us uh, to turn the world you live in, your flat, into a more circular, more modular place. Yeah, it's a, as I already said, it's a great um, inspiration for design uh, because sometimes maybe there just is a minor shift needed 
in this example I gave about the pipe holder, it doesn't look so good in your living room when it holds the curtains uh, on your wall. But maybe you can make a little adjustment to the design and then still it works in the bathroom and still it looks uh, nice and works in your living room. So maybe that's a good starting point for, um, for designers. And the last thing I really like about this is that it's just uh, such a great explanation about what circular economy or circular design is, is to me, that you don't start using something before you have at least three different ideas in your head what happens next to this, you know? And none of these ideas, it goes to the garbage and then uh, I will never see it again. No, you, you, when you do something, you plan for the next stage that happens when you or maybe have has left the room or the country or whatever. So this is um, so beautifully crafted when you use this word pre-use, you know? Uh, yeah, and that's the reason I'm so excited about this term and I want to push this uh, concept uh, to designers and uh, even companies. That's the reason I grow this uh, uh, online collection. Uh, and of course, uh, maybe last remark on this, uh, this practice to take things and use them differently as they are usually intended for is nothing new. It's nothing that a circular design community has invented. Um, uh, but it's something that we can, in this discourse, learn so much about, you know, and uh, that maybe the new thing with pre-use is really that you don't just use something differently than it was intended, but you do this and leave it intact for the initial use. That's maybe the new spin that comes with this great um, term pre-use. I like to push to mm -hmm. your audience. Yeah. Yeah, I think when, during the workshop, two things struck me, which was, one, I think this kind of idea behind pre-use in terms of thinking about how things can have multiple lifetimes, like I think, and and different potential uses, I think that can be something that even designers who are designing new products can try to think about when they are designing these products and think about how could these things be used in different ways. Um, and then second, I also thought that it was quite interesting because it gives a lot of different opportunities for after products have already been made as well. And one of the things that we had talked about in the workshop, at least sort of at the end, we had been, there was a lot of designers there and we were thinking about like how a lot of times when you're starting a design brief, you start thinking about the form, uh, or sorry, the, the function, um, Sorry, and now I'm going to mess this up, but we talked about how uh, that the form of the product follows usually the function. But I think what you sort of do and what pre-use can do is flip flip it. So instead, like the, the function um, follows the form. Now I'm going to, I'm completely messing this up. Okay, no, form, no. yeah, form follows function, but actually now it's function follows form. Yes. Yeah, and that, that's beautiful that you said, said this. It's a good explanation, yeah. Uh, sometimes designers uh, look at our work and say, hey, you are so, so radical in your sustainability and circular approach. Yes, because that's where we start. And then we, we have these techniques and we have two things that our designs uh, should be able to do. And then we, we start come up with the designs, you know, and then we use these techniques to solve questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what has been the response like to when you, when you go to designers and and host these workshops or or try to work with companies and and get them to think about this? 
I didn't actually try to work with companies so with, with this concept uh, and the response like in the workshop uh, we met in uh, is uh, amongst designers usually um, in the beginning they are usually skeptical but uh, then when they played with this and that's one of the beautiful things about pre-use that it's really easy to understand you know it just takes you 10 minutes till you uh, till a window opens where you can see uh, opportunities you are probably really interested in. Um, so it takes some minutes, but uh, usually designers then uh, start to gain an interest in this concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's also, it's just, it's a it's a good, like, it was sort of eye-opening for us to just think about, okay, how can we make, make do with the existing things that we already have? Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, as opposed to go out and run and buy something something new or create something uh, com completely new that's going to utilize like new materials and things like that. So, yeah. Um, at the end of the workshop, you also mentioned that you've been doing some work in terms of circular education. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing in this area. <clears throat> oh yeah. Thanks for asking about this. Um, we sometimes uh, do education with kids. And if you are in this field, you, you see horrible, horrible things happen all the time. Because um, when people in, uh, in art school or uh, in, in, the, um, in their art lessons uh, learn how to be creative persons, they maybe go to a shopping mall, then they buy colorful papers and glues and scissors, and then they have a big party where they cut everything in small pieces and glue together, and then they have a result they might enjoy for one hour. But what is the most impressive thing is that the garbage bin in the room is full of stuff, you know? Uh, and this, if you really think about uh, that, this generation needs to design the circular sustainable world of the future. And when they learn designing and making things is connected to buying new stuff and cut it into small pieces we don't really have an interest in, you know? And that can be turned to something else. How should this generation really become this designer we so desperately need? So we had this project called uh, Palace of Projects, where we had the chance to create 17 different workshops uh, within uh, with one school. And um, each workshop has a different subject, but all of them are circular design. So uh, I think we didn't use glue in one of them. Um, and uh, we made things like, uh, let me give you some examples, for example, uh, most impressive one is that we built one euro mealworm farm in the school and then grew mealworms and then ate them in cooked them and ate them in the school you know because uh, eating insect is a sustainable um form of uh nutrition uh wow. or or we uh with tim van der Loo, we went through the streets from berlin and cut it old uh posters from the walls and turned them into bioplastics and used this bioplastic to create uh lamps for example or we had another workshop where we collected all wait or we had another workshop where we collected um old plastic parts wait <laughs> or we had another workshop where we collected all plastic parts and then drilled a unified grid into these uh plastic parts and by this turned them into modular construction parts for uh toys so kids made their own Lego-like uh, toys, you know, toys that they don't throw away when they are not interested in them anymore, but they can disassemble and build new toys out of them. Um, yeah, and in, in one workshop, for example, we had a repair shop in school, and then the last day we created an advertisement 
uh, posters for repairing things. And then we went through the street and put these posters in front of posters that hang there and advertise for buying new stuff. Uh, <laughs> in, uh, maybe one, one last example. Um, when we, when, while we are into, in activism, uh, we created uh, activistic Greenpeace-like interventions for the car-free city with uh, 12-year-old kids, they came up with their own uh, uh, interventions and then we made those in the street, you know. Um, and what, what about uh, this project is that all of these uh, workshops are documented in how-to style. So we really put out these open educational resources to enable more art and uh, science teachers to, um, to, to, to work with actually sustainable concepts because you find this unsustainable design and tinkering techniques even in education about sustainability. It's really, it's a nightmare. Uh, so we need to raise awareness there and give maybe the people um, a few ideas how to start with modularity and circularity in their creative education in school. Wow, very cool. And the, this, the teachers are open and excited about this as much as the students, I imagine. Yeah, they love this. And maybe one, because I just had this discussion a couple of uh, hours ago, sometimes you have people that run workshops with kids and they tell me, yeah, uh, the people, uh, the, the, the kids want to take something away at the end of the workshop. And if you think about like that, then of course there will be so much garbage and so much resources consumed. But, uh, you know, let's say you, you build something out of electronics in your workshop and then you have 20 kids. Sure, two of them maybe will take the thing at home, disassemble it, and tinker a little bit further. But the other 18, they will do nothing with this. Um, and if you uh, explain kids that you work here with modularity, that we use parts uh, that can be disassembled in the end and put back to the shelf for the next kids, and this is uh, for sustainability, they love this idea. I had never a kid that were disappointed that it could take home, couldn't take home what they had made. When they understood it's for the future, it's for sustainability, they loved it and they followed uh, through with it. So there's really a lot of uh, open minds uh, when you when you approach them with these ideas. Yeah, and also it's it's a good like collaborative message as well because it's not about you being individualistic and taking home your own thing but it's about you got to use something and then the next people also get to use something and have the same amount of fun that you had yeah exactly yeah yeah really cool really cool um what's your plan now for for that are you going to add some extra thing or is not, you keep it with like the workshops that you have online yeah, we learned something really interesting because now at our website there are the 17 tutorials for these workshops, but no one ever really looks at these. So we came up with a new plan, and this is actually a really interesting one. Uh, I partnered up with a fantastic organization that's called Circular Berlin, and we will uh, invent now a certification process for schools. So basically, uh, kids will have this little art and science project. Um, and looking at resource streams that go through their school in creative projects. And then they will first analyze them and then come up with a plan how to uh, turn this into a circular um, resource stream. And then they will take action to make this happen in, in, their, uh, in their art lessons, for example. And we will document these workshops uh, as well and put these um, how-tos on a website. And every school that follows uh, these how-tos will then be certified as circular school. So maybe this is an incentive for schools actually to uh, take these, uh, uh, these how-tos and use them because they can call themselves a circular school afterwards. This is our little um, 
incentive hack that we plan for next year. And we are happy if you follow that uh, and help us with creating this certification process. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And actually, maybe that even fits with the, the the final question that I ask all of the interview guests, because I don't know how much we had to, I don't know exactly if we were able to talk so much about uh, this when I was there, you know, face to face with you in Berlin. Um, but as you might have seen it by now, I, I have a game that I created a couple years ago about materials and circular economy. And right now I have it very like the much the old fashioned way of distributing so people can get the game and sets of the game online. And I don't have, you know, the the rules and things like that or how to play very open anywhere. But I've been toying with this idea of being able to make it available to anyone and everyone uh, through open source. So maybe that looks like a print and play, uh, you know, download downloadable thing, or maybe it's something that could even go on this, uh, this resources for, for, for uh, school children that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, we can have that discussion maybe a separate a separate time. But but I guess the question that I always ask the the interview guests is if they could create an event for the game, uh, what would it be? And basically, in the game, you're you're manufacturing products and you're collecting resources for your products. Uh, and then as time goes on, you realize that maybe it doesn't make sense to be collecting more resources but to actually be making smarter use of the resources that we have like do repair of our products or remanufacture our products um and the events in the game they're something that ha they happen every so often they change sort of the market conditions um so they can export they can disrupt the number of materials available or they can you know be an incentive from the government to pursue a more circular strategy so now I've talked a little bit, maybe too much, Lars, but if you could create an event for the game, what kind of event do you think you would focus on? Yeah, I thought about it, and I think I came up with something uh, uh, interesting. Uh, it's, um, it's an idea that uh, is brought uh, forward by many, many organizations, for example, the Free Software Foundation, but so many others. And it's basically that when you are a manufacturer a product and then you stop to support the product, then you uh, uh, should be forced by law to open source all the parts so that then other companies can maybe produce uh, spare parts or do the security updates when we talk about software. Uh, but basically, if you don't offer repair for your uh, product, then you have to enable others to do this for you through open source. And now we uh, imagine in the game that the European Union uh, makes this a law. And I this is yeah, and this is actually super interesting because right now there's this fantastic project that started in Germany uh, where there will be a DIN norm, which is a very high level uh, standard or norm for uh, how to make open source hardware. When this norm or the standard is out, then it's possible to have, uh, let's for example, uh, say in Horizon 2020 call, put in them Whatever results you produce, you need to make the hardware open source according to this public standard. So uh, we are getting closer to that this one day might happen. I think that's brilliant because also one of the, yeah, the difficulty I was talking to uh, M Michelle Bowens of the Peer-to-Peer uh, -peer Foundation and we were talking about open source and I was actually asking him like, so do you have ideas for how I could, you know, open source my game and things like that? And and he was just like, yeah, it's super difficult for uh, 
more like hardware kinds of things, but it's easier for software and stuff like that. So I think it's nice to see that there is a movement in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for, for actual products, like physical products and manufactured products and products from companies. Yeah. Yeah. This, this standard will really uh, be fit to make a difference. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you, Lars. Before we go, can you tell where listeners can learn more about you and the topics that we discussed? Yeah. Uh, we didn't tackle uh, half of what I do in this field of uh, open circularity. So uh, I really invite you to uh, visit my website. Uh, I have a couple of them. Uh, one is called opencircularity.info. And there you can find uh, mostly the talks I give at conferences or last semester I worked as a guest professor in design at a German university and uh, my whole course and all the inputs on how to open source hardware, how to license open source hardware designs, uh, how to design for circularity. They are all there available for you to use, share, uh, remix, and so on. Uh, if you are more interested in uh, the hardware projects and design projects we develop and the educational projects, then please visit the website uh, mifactory.de. Um, and uh, you can also uh, sign up for our newsletter at opencircularity.info. Uh, we have really a full list of interesting projects that will go uh, online in the next uh, 13 months, many about interesting new ideas about uh, how open design can help us with uh, circular design. And I think many of these things have never been really discussed. And I'm so excited. And I hope to find the time to push them out as soon as I can. Yeah, and I'm, of course, on all these social media websites. Like, there's a MeFactory account at Instagram, uh, and I'm on Facebook and on Twitter. And, yeah, starting from that website, you will find all of this. Please follow, click, and share. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For show notes and links, go to our website at gettingintheloopodcast.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our mailing list to have new episodes delivered to your inbox every Monday. See you next week.